March 25 through 31 of Morning and Evening Daily Readings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Morning and Evening Daily Readings by Charles Spurgeon. Morning, March 25th. Betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? Luke 22, verse 48 The kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Let me be on my guard when the world puts on a loving face, for it will, if possible, betray me as it did my master, with a kiss. Whenever a man is about to stab religion, he usually professes very great reverence for it. Let me beware of the sleek-faced hypocrisy which is armor-bearer to heresy and infidelity. Knowing the deceivableness of unrighteousness, let me be wise as a serpent to detect and avoid the designs of the enemy. The young man, void of understanding, was led astray by the kiss of the strange woman. May my soul be so graciously instructed all this day that the much fair speech of the world may have no effect upon me. Holy Spirit, let me not, a poor frail son of man, be betrayed with a kiss. But what if I should be guilty of the same accursed sin as Judas, that son of perdition? I have been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. I am a member of his visible church. I sit at the communion table. All these are so many kisses of my lips. Am I sincere in them? If not, I am a base traitor. Do I live in the world as carelessly as others do, and yet make a profession of being a follower of Jesus? Then I must expose religion to ridicule, and lead men to speak evil of the holy name by which I am called. Surely if I act thus inconsistently, I am a Judas, and it were better for me that I had never been born. Dare I hope that I am clear of this matter? Then, O oh Lord, keep me so. O oh Lord, make me sincere and true. Preserve me from every false way. Never let me betray my Savior. I do love thee, Jesus, and though I often grieve thee, yet I would desire to abide faithful even unto death. O oh God, forbid that I should be a high-soaring professor and then fall at last into the lake of fire, because I betrayed my master with a kiss. Evening, March 25th. The Son of Man, John 3, verse 13. How constantly our master used the title, The Son of Man. If he had chosen, he might always have spoken of himself as the Son of God, the Everlasting Father, the Wonderful, the Counselor, the Prince of Peace. But behold the lowliness of Jesus. He prefers to call himself the Son of Man. Let us learn a lesson of humility from our Savior. Let us never court great titles nor proud degrees. There is here, however, a far sweeter thought. Jesus loved manhood so much that he delighted to honor it. And since it is a high honor, and indeed the greatest dignity of manhood, that Jesus is the Son of Man, he is wont to display this name, that he may, as it were, hang royal stars upon the breast of manhood. 
and show forth the love of God to Abraham's seed. Son of man, whenever he said that word, he shed a halo around the head of Adam's children. Yet there is perhaps a more precious thought still. Jesus Christ called himself the Son of Man to express his oneness and sympathy with his people. He thus reminds us that he is the one whom we may approach without fear. As a man, we may take to him all our griefs and troubles, for he knows them by experience, in that he himself hath suffered as the Son of Man. He is able to succor and comfort us. All hail, thou blessed Jesus, inasmuch as thou art evermore using the sweet name, which acknowledges that thou art a brother and a near kinsman. It is to us a dear token of thy grace, thy humility, thy love. Oh, see how Jesus trusts himself unto our childish love, as though by his free ways with us our earnestness to prove. His sacred name, a common word on earth he loves to hear. There is no majesty in him, which love may not come near. Morning, March 26th. Jesus said unto them, If ye seek me, let these go their way. John 18, verse 8. Mark my soul the care which Jesus manifested even in this hour of trial towards the sheep of his hand. The ruling passion is strong in death. He resigns himself to the enemy, but he interposes a word of power to set his disciples free. As to himself, like a sheep before her shearers, he is dumb, and open not his mouth. But for his disciples' sake, he speaks with almighty energy. Herein is love, constant, self-forgetting, faithful love. But is there not far more here than is to be found upon the surface? Have we not the very soul and spirit of the atonement in these words? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep and pleads that they must therefore go free. The surety is bound, and justice demands that those for whom he stands a substitute should go their way. In the midst of Egypt's bondage, that voice rings as a word of power. Let these go their way. Out of slavery of sin and Satan, the redeemed must come. In every cell of the dungeons of despair, the sound is echoed. Let these go their way. And forth come despondency and much afraid. Satan hears the well-known voice and lifts his foot from the neck of the fallen. And death hears it and the grave opens her gates to let the dead arise. Their way is one of progress, holiness, triumph, glory, and none shall dare to stay them in it. No lion shall be on their way, neither shall any ravenous beast go up thereon. The hind of the morning has drawn the cruel hunters upon himself, and now the most timid rose in hinds of the field may graze a perfect peace among the lilies of his love. The thundercloud has burst over the cross of Calvary, and the pilgrims of Zion shall never be smitten by the bolts of vengeance. Come, my heart, rejoice in the immunity which thy Redeemer has secured thee, and bless his name all the day and every day.
evening march twenty sixth when he cometh in the glory of his father with the holy angels mark eight verse thirty eight if we have been partakers with jesus in his shame we shall be sharers with him in the lustre which shall surround him when he appears again in glory art thou beloved one with christ jesus does a vital union knit thee to him then thou art to-day with him in his shame thou hast taken up his cross and gone with him without the camp bearing his reproach thou shalt doubtless be with him when the cross is exchanged for the crown but judge thyself this evening for if thou art not with him in the regeneration neither shalt thou be with him when he shall come in his glory if thou start back from the black side of communion thou shalt not understand its bright its happy period when the king shall come and all his holy angels with him what are angels with him and yet he took not up angels he took up the seed of abraham are the holy angels with him come my soul if thou art indeed his own beloved thou canst not be far from him if his friends and his neighbors are called together to see his glory what thinkest thou if thou art married to him shalt thou be distant though it be a day of judgment yet thou canst not be far from that heart which having admitted angels into intimacy has admitted thee into union has he not said to thee o my soul i will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness have not his own lips said it i am married unto thee and my delight is in thee if the angels who are but friends and neighbors shall be with him it is abundantly certain that his own beloved hesphaba in whom is all his delight shall be near to him and sit at his right hand here is a morning star of hope for thee of such exceeding brilliance that it may well light up the darkest and most desolate experience morning march twenty seventh then all the disciples forsook him and fled matthew twenty six verse fifty six he never deserted them but they in cowardly fear of their lives fled from him in the very beginning of his sufferings this is but one instructive instance of the frailty of all believers if left to themselves they are but sheep at the best and they flee when the wolf cometh they had all been warned of the danger and had promised to die rather than leave their master and yet they were seized with sudden panic and took to their heels it may be that i at the opening of this day have braced up my mind to bear a trial for the lord's sake and i imagine myself to be certain to exhibit perfect fidelity but let me be very jealous of myself lest having the same evil heart of unbelief i should depart from my lord as the apostles did it is one thing to promise and quite another to perform it would have been to their eternal honor if they stood at jesus side right manfully they fled from honor 
may I be kept from imitating them. Where else could they have been so safe as near their master, who could presently call for twelve legions of angels? They fled from their true safety. O oh God, let me not play the fool also. Divine grace can make the coward brave. The smoking flax can flame forth like fire on the altar, when the Lord wills it. These very apostles, who were timid as hares, grew to be bold as lions after the Spirit had descended upon them. And even so, the Holy Spirit can make my recreant spirit brave to confess my Lord and to witness for his truth. What anguish must have filled the Savior as he saw his friend so faithless. This was one bitter ingredient in his cup. But that cup is drained dry. Let me not put another drop in it. If I forsake my Lord, I shall crucify him afresh and put him to an open shame. Keep me, O blessed spirit, from an end so shameful. Evening, March 27th. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat at the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Matthew 15, verse 27. This woman gained comfort in her misery by thinking great thoughts of Christ. The master had talked about the children's bread. Now, argued she, since thou art the master of the table of grace, I know that thou art a generous housekeeper, and there is sure to be abundance of bread on thy table. There will be such an abundance for the children that there will be crumbs to throw on the floor for the dogs and the children will fear none the worse, because the dogs are fed. She thought him one who kept so good a table that all that she needed would only be a crumb in comparison. Yet remember, what she wanted was to have the devil cast out of her daughter. It was a very great thing to her, but she had such a high esteem of Christ that she said, It is nothing to him. It is but a crumb for Christ to give. This is the royal road to comfort. Great thoughts of your sins alone will drive you to despair. But great thoughts of Christ will pilot you into the haven of peace. My sins are many, but oh, it is nothing to Jesus to take them all away. The weight of my guilt presses me down as a giant's foot would crush a worm. But it is no more than a grain of dust to him because he has already borne its curse in his own body on the tree. It will be but a small thing for him to give me full remission, although it will be an infinite blessing for me to receive it. The woman opens her soul's mouth very wide, expecting great things of Jesus, and he fills it with his love. Dear reader, do the same. She confessed what Christ laid at her door, but she laid fast hold upon him, and drew arguments even out of his hard words. She believed great things of him, and she thus overcame him. She won the victory by believing in him. Her case is an instance of prevailing faith, and if we would conquer like her, we must imitate her tactics. Morning, March 28th the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. Ephesians 3, verse 19. The love of Christ in its sweetness, its fullness, 
its greatness, its faithfulness, passeth all human comprehension. Where shall language be found which shall describe his matchless, his unparalleled love towards the children of men? It is so vast and boundless that, as a swallow but skimmeth the water, and diveth not into its depths, so all descriptive words but touch the surface, while depths immeasurable lie beneath. Well might the poet say, O love, thou fathomless abyss. For this love of Christ is indeed measureless and fathomless. None can attain to it. Before we can have any right idea of the love of Jesus, we must understand his previous glory in its height of majesty and his incarnation upon the earth in all its depths of shame. But who can tell us the majesty of Christ? When he was enthroned in the highest heavens, he was very God of very God. By him were the heavens made, and all the hosts thereof. His own almighty arm upheld the spheres. The praises of cherubim and seraphim perpetually surrounded him. The full chorus of the hallelujahs of the universe unceasingly flowed to the foot of his throne. He reigned supreme above all his creatures, God over all, blessed forever. Who can tell his height of glory then? And who, on the other hand, can tell how low he descended? To be a man was something. To be a man of sorrows was far more. To bleed and die and suffer. These were much for him who was the Son of God. But to suffer such unparalleled agony, to endure a death of shame and desertion by his father. This is the depth of condescending love, which the most inspired mind must utterly fail to fathom. Herein is love, and truly it is love that passeth knowledge. Oh, let this love fill our hearts with adoring gratitude, and lead us to practical manifestations of its power. Evening March 28th. I will accept you with your sweet savor. Ezekiel 20, verse 41. The merits of our Redeemer are as sweet savor to the Most High. Whether we speak of the active or passive righteousness of Christ, there is an equal fragrance. There was a sweet savor in his active life by which he honored the law of God and made every precept to glitter like a precious jewel in the pure setting of his own person. Such, too, was his passive obedience, when he endured with unmurmuring submission, hunger and thirst, cold and nakedness, and at length sweat great drops of blood in Gethsemane, gave his back to the smiters, and his cheeks to them that plucked out the hair, and was fastened to the cruel wood, that he might suffer the wrath of God in our behalf. These two things are sweet before the Most High, and for the sake of his doing and his dying, his substitutionary sufferings and his vicarious obedience, the Lord our God accepts us. What a preciousness must there be in him to overcome our want of preciousness! What a sweet savor to put away all our ill savor! What a cleansing power in his blood 
to take away sins such as ours. And what glory in his righteousness to make such unacceptable creatures to be accepted in the beloved. Mark, believer, how sure and unchanging must be our acceptance, since it is in him. Take care that you never doubt your acceptance in Jesus. You cannot be accepted without Christ, but when you have received his merit, you cannot be unaccepted. Notwithstanding all your doubts and fears and sins, Jehovah's gracious eye never looks upon you in anger. Though he sees sin in you, in yourself, yet he looks at you through Christ. He sees no sin. You are always accepted in Christ, are always blessed and dear to the Father's heart. Therefore lift up a song, and as you see the smoking incense of the merit of the Savior coming up this evening before the sapphire throne, let the incense of your praise go up also. Morning, March 29th. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Hebrews 5 verse 8. We are told that the captain of our salvation was made perfect through suffering. Therefore we who are sinful, and we who are far from being perfect, must not wonder if we are called to pass through suffering too. Shall the head be crowned with thorns, and shall the other members of the body be rocked upon the dainty lap of ease? Must Christ pass through the seas of his own blood to win the crown? And are we to walk to heaven dry-shod in silver slippers? No, our master's experience teaches us that suffering is necessary, and the true-born child of God must not, would not, escape it if he might. But there is one very comforting thought in the fact of Christ being made perfect through suffering. It is that he can have complete sympathy with us, he is not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In this sympathy of Christ we find a sustaining power. One of the early martyrs said, I can bear it all, for Jesus suffered, and he suffers in me now. He sympathizes with me, and this makes me strong. Believer, lay hold of this thought in all times of agony. Let the thought of Jesus strengthen you as you follow in his steps. Find a sweet support in his sympathy, and remember that to suffer is an honorable thing. To suffer for Christ is glory. The apostles rejoiced that they were counted worthy to do this. Just so far as the Lord shall give us grace to suffer for Christ, to suffer with Christ, just so far does he honor us. The jewels of a Christian are his afflictions. The regalia of the kings whom God hath anointed are their troubles, their sorrows, and their griefs. Let us not, therefore, shun being honored. Let us not turn aside from being exalted. Griefs exalt us, and troubles lift us up. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. Evening, March 29. I called him but he gave me no answer. Song of Solomon, 5, verse 6. Prayer sometimes tarrieth like a petitioner at the gate, until the king cometh forth to fill her bosom with the blessings which she seeketh. 
the Lord, when he hath given great faith, has been known to try it by long delayings. He has suffered his servants' voices to echo in their ears as from a brazen sky. They have knocked at the golden gate, but it has remained immovable as though it were rusted upon its hinges. Like Jeremiah, they have cried, Thou hast covered thyself with a cloud that our prayer shall not pass through. Thus have true saints continued long in patient waiting without reply, not because their prayers were not vehement, nor because they were unaccepted, but because it so pleased him who is a sovereign and who gives according to his own pleasure. If it pleases him to bid our patience exercise itself, shall he not do as he wills with his own? Beggars must not be choosers either as to time, place, or form. But we must be careful not to take delays in prayer for denials. God's long-dated bills will be punctually honored. We must not suffer Satan to shake our confidence in the God of truth by pointing to our unanswered prayers. Unanswered petitions are not unheard. God keeps a file of our prayers. They are not blown away by the wind. They are treasured in the king's archives. This is a registry in the court of heaven, wherein every prayer is recorded. Tried believer, thy Lord hath a tear bottle in which the costly drops of sacred grief are put away, and a book in which thy holy groanings are numbered. By and by thy suit shall prevail. Canst thou not be content to wait a little? Will not the Lord's time be better than thy time? By and by he will comfortably appear to the soul's joy and make thee put away the sackcloth and ashes of long waiting and put on the scarlet and fine linen of full fruition. Morning, March 30th. He was numbered with the transgressors. Isaiah 53, verse 12. Why did Jesus suffer himself to be enrolled amongst sinners? This wonderful condescension was justified by many powerful reasons. In such a character he could the better become their advocate. In some trials there is an identification of the counselor with the client, nor can they be looked upon in the eye of the law as apart from one another. Now when the sinner is brought to the bar, Jesus appears there himself. He stands to answer the accusation. He points to his side, his hands, his feet, and challenges justice to bring anything against the sinners whom he represents. He pleads his blood and pleads so triumphantly, being numbered with them and having a part with them, that the judge proclaims, let them go their way. Deliver them from going down into the pit, for he hath found a ransom. Our Lord Jesus was numbered with the transgressors in order that they might feel their hearts drawn towards him. Who can be afraid of one who is written in the same list with us? Surely we may come boldly to him and confess our guilt. He who is numbered with us cannot condemn us. Was he not put down in the transgressor's list that we might be written in the red roll of the saint? He was holy and written among the holy. We were guilty, 
and numbered among the guilty. He transfers his name from yonder list to this black indictment. And our names are taken from the indictment and written in the roll of acceptance. For there is a complete transfer made between Jesus and his people. All are a state of misery and sin Jesus has taken. And all that Jesus has comes to us. His righteousness, his blood, and everything he hath he gives us as our dowry. Rejoice, believer, in your union to him who was numbered among the transgressors, and prove that you are truly saved by being manifestly numbered with those who are new creatures in him. Evening, March 30th. Let us search and try our ways, and turn again to the Lord. Lamentations 3, verse 40. The spouse who fondly loves her absent husband longs for his return. A long, protracted separation from her Lord is a semi-death to her spirit, and so with souls who love the Savior much. They must see his face. They cannot bear that he should be away upon the mountains of Bether and no more hold communion with them. A reproaching glance, an uplifted finger will be grievous to loving children who fear to offend their tender father, and are only happy in his smile. Beloved, it was so once with you, a text of scripture, a threatening, a touch of the rod of affliction, and you went to your father's feet, crying, Show me wherefore thou contendest with me. Is it so now? Are you content to follow Jesus afar off? Can you contemplate suspended communion with Christ without alarm? Can you bear to have your beloved walking contrary to you, because you walk contrary to him? Have your sins separated between you and your God, and is your heart at rest? Oh, let me affectionately warn you, for it is a grievous thing when we can live contentedly without the present enjoyment of the Savior's face. Let us labor to feel what an evil thing this is. Little love to our own dying Savior, little joy in our precious Jesus, little fellowship with the Beloved. Hold the true Lent in your souls while you sorrow over your hardness of heart. Do not stop at sorrow. Remember where you first received salvation? Go at once to the cross. There and there only can you get your spirit quickened. No matter how hard, how insensible, how dead we may have become, let us go again in all the rags and poverty and defilement of our natural condition. Let us clasp that cross. Let us look into those languid eyes. Let us bathe in that fountain filled with blood. This will bring back to us our first love. This will restore the simplicity of our faith and the tenderness of our heart. Morning, March 31st. With his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53, verse 5. Pilate delivered our Lord to the lictors to be scourged. The Roman scourge was a most dreadful instrument of torture. It was made of the sinews of oxen, and sharp bones were intertwisted every here and there along the sinews, 
so that every time the lash came down, these pieces of bone inflicted fearful laceration and tore off the flesh from the bone. The Savior was, no doubt, bound to the column and thus beaten. But this of the Roman lictors was probably the most severe of his flagellations. My soul, stand here and weep over his poor stricken body. Believer in Jesus, can you gaze upon him without tears, as he stands before you the mirror of agonizing love? He is at once fair as a lily for innocence, and red as the rose with the crimson of his own blood. As we feel the sure and blessed healing which his stripes have wrought in us, does not our heart melt at once with love and grief? If ever we have loved our Lord Jesus, surely we must feel that affection glowing now within our bosoms. See how the patient Jesus stands, insulted in his lowest case? Sinners have bound the Almighty's hand and spit in their Creator's face. With thorns his temples gored and gashed, send streams of blood from every part. His backs with knotted scourges lashed, but sharper scourges tear his heart. We shall fain go to our chambers and weep, but since our business calls us away, we will first pray our beloved to print the image of his bleeding self upon the tablets of our hearts all the day, and at nightfall we will return to commune with him, and sorrow that our sin should have cost him so dear. Evening, March 31st. And Rizpah, the daughter of Ayah, took sathcloth and spread it for her upon the rock, from the beginning of harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven, and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. Second Samuel 21 Verse 10. If the love of a woman to her slain sons could make her prolong her morning vigil for so long a period, shall we weary of considering the sufferings of our blessed Lord? She drove away the birds of prey, and shall not we chase from our meditations those worldly and sinful thoughts which defile both our minds and the sacred themes upon which we are occupied? Away, ye birds of evil wing, leave ye the sacrifice alone. She bore the heats of summer, the night dews and the rains, unsheltered and alone. Sleep was chased from her weeping eyes. Her heart was too full for slumber. Behold how she loved her children. Shall Rispa thus endure, and shall we start at the first little inconvenience or trial? Are we such cowards that we cannot bear to suffer with our Lord? She chased away even the wild beasts with courage unusual in her sex, and will not we be ready to encounter every foe for Jesus' sake? These, her children, were slain by other hands than hers, and yet she wept and watched. What ought we to do who have by our sins crucified our Lord? Our obligations are boundless. Our love should be fervent and our repentance thorough. To watch with Jesus should be our business, to protect his honor, our occupation, 
to abide by his cross are solace. Those ghastly corpses might well have affrighted Rizba, especially by night, but in our Lord, at whose crossfoot we are sitting, there is nothing revolting, but everything attractive. Never was living beauty so enchanting as a dying Savior. Jesus, we will watch with thee yet a while, and do thou graciously unveil thyself to us. Then shall we not sit beneath sackcloth, but in a royal pavilion. End of March 25 through 31